the disciples, they were willing to wrestle with what Jesus said, and the Pharisees were more concerned about being perceived as being right, and it, and it, pre- it prevented them from entering the kingdom at that point. Hi, I'm Nat. This is Nate, and welcome to the first episode of our video podcast. Um, today, we're going to be talking about offense, so come along for the journey. Let's see where we go with this. It really, I mean, offense is something that all of us deal with at multiple times in our life. I think as we're talking about this, a big, a big part of what we're trying to go after is how do we identify offense but then how do we break out of the cycle of just taking offense and sweeping it under the rug and how do we actually walk through through offense to get to the other side where we actually find healing i think that there's a scenario that i've seen a lot of where we start talking about offense and the solution is give it to god and i agree that like there is a place where we come to where we need to give this thing to god however what oftentimes happens is instead of uh, people actually letting it go, we just push it down and we smother it and we cover it up. And I like to say the phrase that uh, oftentimes when people come to God with their issues, they don't actually give it to, they don't actually uh, submit it to the cross. They hide it behind the cross, mm-hmm. in which okay. case you're still, you're still carrying it, right? It's still there. But now it's got kind of a layer over top of it and we push it down and then we get into a scenario in our life where the whole world goes upside down. Like in this case, for a lot of us, it was COVID. You turn the world upside down and now we no longer have the ability just to stop things up. All of our stuff gets exposed. I think it's part of the reason why there was so much offense during this last season because our worlds got turned upside down and we couldn't cover it up anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so true. It's like, you know, the Band-Aid was ripped off, all the things that we've been placating ourselves with to kind of, you know, busy ourselves because really, you know, COVID, that whole, you know, 2020 with all the lockdowns and everything, it caused us to sit in our stuff. And so, and some of sit us, sit in our stuff. <laughs> I mean, and some of it was pretty stinky, right? There's, there's a lot of stuff that happened. It's that such a nasty, it's, I mean, that's what offense, festering of offense, that. that's what it does. It's stinky. It's gross. It's like, you know, it's like an unhealed wound. So, um, and, and really I think import, the important thing to do as we start this is to talk about what offense actually is. And, you know, I, I kind of a word nerd, I like to look up what words mean. And, um, when I was looking up what this word means, it actually means, um, to, or a thing that constitutes a violation of what is judged to be right or natural. And I think it's really important to visit that, um, that definition because, who's the judge of what's right and natural? What, who's the judge in our lives? Is it us? Is it our experience? Is it our past? Is it our history? Is it our culture or is it the kingdom? And so really what we want to walk through tonight is what does it look like to have kingdom eyes, have, you know, have heaven's eyes towards people towards situations when offense comes because Jesus promises that offense comes. In fact, he, he calls himself an offense, um, because he reveals our heart through that. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, come to wound us except for with love, but you know, sometimes that, that hurts us in a way that it reveals what our, what's actually inside of our hearts. So I didn't actually know that that was the definition, what that's a dictionary definition. That's, yeah, the, you I get think that it's from? the Oxford, di- di- Oxford dictionary definition see okay so as i've been trying to walk through like how to navigate offense it's it's so fascinating that i've never actually looked up the definition of it so you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> thanks wife you're so smart <laughs> <laughs> so but that's so interesting right because for me the uh the place that i've had to come to learn how to deal with offense 
is through trial and error, I've had to come to say, you know, let's again, let's just talk about COVID season. You have um, a lot of people who are really offended with each other based on how people have managed um, their response to COVID, right? So like a really hot topic is mask wearing. Like there are some people who are super offended by people who don't wear a mask. And there are some people who are super offended by people who do wear a mask. And, uh, you know, there's all, if, if we just get rid of, um, <laughs> you can't get rid of the science, but if we, let's say for the sake of argument, right, for talking on this, that we get rid of the, what science suggests, because, well, let's say we just get rid of that. What you have is two groups of people who have an opinion of what's right. And this group says, no, this is right. You're wrong. And I'm offended that you're not following what's right. And this other group is doing the exact same thing. So both groups are saying, I'm right. You're wrong. And I'm offended that you're not following the truth. Now, if we take this to a more, um, like, we'll just say religious context and say, let's go to, um, theology. And let's say that someone reads through the Bible and they say to be, really a Christian, you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which means that the evidence of that is speaking in tongues. And so they say, I'm right, you're wrong. The difficulty is that this is what the whole, um, the whole splitting apart of different denominations, that's where this all came from, is someone read a version of the Bible and said, I'm absolutely right, you're absolutely wrong, and because I can't see past my need to be right here, we're going to split up and go different directions. And what there is a place for people to go different directions. I think sometimes we get into splitting hairs and get more obsessed with being right than with actually communicating with another human being. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the question really that we need to ask ourselves when offense comes is, do I want to be right? Or do I want to be righteous? Because there's a difference between, you know, being technically right and acting in a righteous way, because you can be right with the wrong attitude and still be wrong. You can still, um, you know, you can carry offense even if you were technically correct. Um, being right doesn't justify acting in an unrighteous way. And I know we're not really talking about like how we're acting. We're talking about a response to being offended for the most part. But I think it's an important question to ask ourselves when we're when we're walking through this process is of do I want to be right or do I want to be righteous? Because sometimes those don't coincide. And, you know, and when we look at Jesus and the life of Jesus and and how he interacted with with people in his day, we see him interacting with two um, very specific types of people. We see him interacting with disciples and people that were following him, you know, believed him to be the Messiah, although they were misguided in how they believed that he was going to establish his kingdom. And then you had the Pharisees and the, you know, the the religious leaders of the day who who were really used to being right and they were used to being, you know, in authority and for people to kind of fawn over them and, and their opinions. And then all of a sudden there's this, this guy, who does he think he is challenging their, their ideas and their, you know, their explanation of the scripture. And I was just, as I was looking at this and I was thinking about it, I just, I, I kept thinking about the difference. One of the main differences in how the disciples interacted with Jesus and the Pharisees is that the disciples were willing to wrestle with the truth. They were willing to wrestle with what Jesus said. And the Pharisees were more concerned about being right and being perceived as being right. And it, and it, pre it prevented them from entering the kingdom at that point. Mm -hmm. So when you say right versus wrong, so I like, I like your uh, right versus righteous. 
I like the way that that's worded. I also think um, if I were going to word this a different way, I started thinking about um, people automatically interacting with another human being and hearing their view of the world. They immediately judge what they're saying as being right or wrong. And one of the things that we talk about a lot with living from a kingdom perspective is the idea that God is much bigger than us as individuals. And he's, he's, we bring our super finite experience, right? We're 36 years old. So in the scheme of eternity, like we're, we're tiny little baby people. <laughs> terrifying. Tiny picture. little baby people. Um, so what I'm, what, what we continue to learn to do is if you're going to take a kingdom perspective, you have to realize how little we actually know in the scope of eternity. And for me to listen to another person's thought process and to use my 36 years of experience and my limited, um, you know, life experience and to automatically be able to be judge and jury over whether or not this person is right or whether or not this person is wrong is pretty presumptive. If you, if I start to expand and really recognize like who I am, that I'm a, uh, you know, a baby in the scope of eternity, a little baby man in the scope of eternity, I'm going to be there for a while. I'm a little baby man in the scope of eternity. Um, I'm less confident in my ability to accurately judge absolute right and absolute wrong. Although there is a place for that. I'm not saying that we can't judge that. I'm saying I'm less confident in the fact that I can say you are absolutely wrong because my main goal here is to examine the possibility that there could be something outside of my current experience. And so what I'm left with is if, if instead of jumping right into offense and being offended at, uh, you know, a friend or a leader or an idea or even a movement, what I can do more is pause and say, what's the vision on my life? And does this thing align with the vision on my life? And if it doesn't align with the vision on my life, I have the opportunity to let it go as opposed to having this need to trying to destroy the thing that's wrong. And now what I'm left doing is, instead of trying to destroy the thing that I think is wrong, I instead let that thing go, and then I start pursuing things that align with the vision on my life. And the need to be right all the time starts to move itself off of your life because you're so obsessed then with finding and realizing and actualizing the plan and purpose on your own life. And I think that's a really powerful place for us to be, is right versus righteous. I don't have to be right. I do have to pursue righteousness, which to me in different terminology is, I have to pursue the vision on my life. And that's all I have time. And if we brought this back around to a scriptural context, we talk a lot about how the body of Christ, please, I'm on this big rant right now, please jump in sometime. <laughs> my right foot is totally asleep. Like it just, <laughs> it's just... Oh my gosh. Hold on. I'm going to finish this thought. We, t we talk a lot about the body of Christ concept. Some people are a sleepy foot. And there's... <laughs> nice. You brought it back around. <laughs> oh, you backslider. So, um, you know, some people... Uh, the scripture itself talks a lot about the body of Christ. And it talks about our need for each other as a body. Right? And I think... If we expand that concept and also say we as a human race need each other and not all of us has the same strengths. And if you're a foot in the body, you're not going to understand the function of a hand at all. 
And so rather than become obsessed with trying to tell the hand that it's doing it wrong and being offended that it's not doing it wrong, you just really focus on your job as a foot and allow the totality of humanity to work together better. And there's no room for offense. My foot is very asleep. <laughs> well, <sighs> as you're waking up your foot, your sleeping foot, I think, I mean, that's a great, it's a great picture though, really, because if we think about offense as really pain, right? It's, it's unresolved pain. It's pain that um, can either reveal our hearts and allow us to, <laughs> to change. <laughs> I feel like we need to pause here for a second. We'll be right back. No, keep going. No, I can't. You're just you're so distracting. Wow. It is so, it's like dead asleep. <laughs> just pause it for a you're fine. Go. I can't. I'm, you're, I'm, you're, you're. I believe you. Dead leg over here. <laughs> it's really asleep. Uh, wait. I feel the blood coming back. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's like really asleep. Okay. It's the power of editing. You don't have to worry about it. I can just chop this off. Well, yeah, but you're over there going, wah, wah, and lumping around the room. That's not what I'm doing. Yes, you are. <laughs> that is the most asleep my foot has ever been. Okay, I'm good. Okay, where did we leave off? We're all different parts of the body. And, you know, in Romans 12, I believe it, that is what, where that talks about that. Um, you know, we all have a, a different function, but we're connected to the same head. And I think it's important to recognize one as we're, as we're, you know, figuring this out, what part of the body we are, how we function within the body that we have to remember that there is absolute truth, that there's absolute, you know, right, there is absolute right and wrong. And, and so, and I think it's important to define that in this, you know, day and age where everything's like, well, you live your truth and I'll live my truth. And, and that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about like, I'll just do what, you know, you think is right because there is like Christ is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. He's the king of the kingdom. And, and if we're not um, functioning in flow with that, we are, you know, we are in operating in an incorrect space. But to go back to the body part, you know, the body part, <laughs> the body idea, or I guess, analogy, you know, when we come to offense, it, pain's way is to immobilize us. You know, just think about your foot falling asleep right now. Like, you don't want to move something that's that's offended, that's a pain, that's in pain because it hurts. Um, but when something's asleep, the only way to get it reconnected to the flow is to move it. And and I think it's really important that you know when we're thinking about offense and we're thinking about like when stuff um, you know comes and it and it challenges us or or it hurts us or it cuts us in a way or it cuts off the flow in some way to to recognize that the first step in actually overcoming offense is to allow ourselves to recognize that it offended us because like you were saying like it's so um i think less so now as you know in this day and age is almost you know, there's always that pendulum swing of like sweep it under the rug and then like let everybody know you're offended all the time and why you're offended. There's like there's that medium place that we're coming to, I believe, in this in this coming mediumist place, <laughs> the mediumist, the bestest place, because, you know, we've got cancel culture and like, oh, well, you're triggering me, you know, versus like, oh, just sweep it under the rug and act like everything's fine. And and somehow some people are doing both simultaneously. Cancel. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Cancel culture is a fascinating concept yeah um and so you know 
if we dive into offense, if we bring up cancel culture, we I think th- maybe this isn't the right time. Maybe we do a different one on this at some point. But f- the the concept of cancel culture is fascinating because I commonly hear this uh, cancel culture terminology being directed at, I mean, in my circles, right, is often Christians and conservatives directing this towards non-Christians and liberals, which is super interesting. But the... But, you know, because I have such a diverse group of people that I talk to on a regular basis. Well, and conversely, like if you actually look, it's both sides doing the same thing, accusing the other one. Yeah. So the I, same thing, which is ridiculous. So I hear this on the other side, exactly what you're saying. Right. But it's interesting because because I have such a huge network of people who are not Christians who really love people and who are really super smart. And I have this group of Christians who really love people and who are really super smart. And I hear the exact same language being directed at each other in offense mm-hmm. towards the other group of people. And I'm sitting there like listening to these patterns, getting smaller with my microphone. I'm listening to these patterns and going, wow, like this is just a cycle of offense being perpetuated over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And I think that uh, the topic that you landed on for a second there, which is absolute truth, is like, I agree, right? Like absolute, like there is an absolute truth. Like there is an uh, and I think one of the difficulties that we land on is when people get um, put little notches in their belt on the way towards absolute truth. So what I mean is, right, so like we look at scripture, right? Scripture is my foundation. It's it's the book that I've chosen to hinge my life on. Um, I'm not going to click this pen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a book that I've chosen to hinge my life on. And so as I hear people talk within scripture, I hear people say a series of things. Well, if you believe in blank, then you can't be a Christian, especially in these past two years. The amount of times I've heard that thrown around is crazy. And so I look at that and I say, okay, but that's not a truism. It's not truth. Because Jesus clearly laid out what is the path to being a Christian. And it was believe in me, confess with your mouth and in your heart, and be saved. Like that's the only criteria. Yeah. And to obey his commands. And to obey his command. Right. But still, I mean, like obeying commands is like that's the sign of that you're that you actually are there. But mm-hmm. there was there, the entrance exam is really simply laid out. And those are the only two things that qualify you to be a Christian. None of your political beliefs. None of your beliefs about, none of those other things matter in the scheme. There were two things that he laid out. And then there's the path to living that, but salvation is clearly laid out. And so as we walk through the ideas and concepts of absolute truth, I think what's really important is that people continue to acknowledge that there are a bunch of areas in their life that they're calling absolute truth. Where they're really still in process. Yeah, that's a great way of saying that, where they're still processing that out. I think that's really important to understand in all of this is the fact that this is a process, that life is a process, and that we're all we're all being moved towards that, you know, if we're, you know, if we're followers of Christ, if we proclaim that we are ones that are living for kingdom, that we love Jesus and that, you know, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us, that, that we're all in this, you know, the already not yet of, of being saved and sanctified. So why don't we talk about how to actually handle it? I don't know, maybe symptoms, symptoms of it. The first step, I believe, is to really recognize that you are offended and to allow yourself to be offended. Yeah. Um, and to that, allow yourself, I think, is a key. Yeah. Because I think what's common is to feel the feelings of offense 
and to automatically stop and say, that's not an emotion that I should be feeling Mm -hmm. and therefore try to pray it away or try to stuff it under the rug or it's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't have people in your community who you can actually be vulnerable about. So you can't actually express that emotion or don't feel like you can. And so therefore it's not okay to feel. And I think, I think we need to allow ourselves to feel offense and really use offense as, as, um, as a teacher about where we are. A barometer really of our heart and our heart posture. And, you know, I was thinking about how, you know, a lot of times offense actually starts as disappointment and, you know, it it starts as as the disappointment of we didn't think it would be this way, or we didn't think you would act this way, or I didn't think this situation would end up this way, or or God, I thought, or you know, when we're offended at God, like God, I thought it would be different. Mm-hmm. And instead of like allowing ourselves to feel disappointed and mourn and grieve what we thought was gonna be, you know, whether or not we were right, if we don't take that time, it can move into anger. And it can move into you know, bitterness and it can move into all those things that, you know, those negative connotations that we talk about when we talk about offenses, you know, that kind of rage, the Karen, you know, the Karen movement of, of no offense, any Karens, <laughs> we love Karens but, it's not you. but you guys know what I'm talking about. Well, OK, so uh, I think I think one of the things that you're highlighting on here brings up something important to you that if you if you have a friend who's offended, don't be that friend who walks up and says, well, you know, brother. You just shouldn't be offended. You got to let that offense go. Like you can't just let offense go. You cannot just let it go. It doesn't happen that way. You have to walk through the thing that's creating an internal violation. If you have a friend who's in this, not even talk about like, not even if you're the one offended, but you have, if you have a friend who's in the offense process, showing up to listen to them and be a safe place and just maybe you don't give an, maybe you don't help. Maybe you just say, man, I hear you. Like, talk that out with me, explore those feelings and being a safe place for your friend to explore, as opposed to trying to push them past the emotion to get them to a place where they look like they're smiling. Because I think that is a mistake that we make sometimes is the the forgetting, mistaking somebody smiling with everything being okay. Yeah, because that's not true. Well, and you know, to go back to the wound analogy, you know, if you get a deep cut and you just try to, you know, you don't clean it out, you don't air it out, um, which is what kind of the process you're talking about, right? Like airing out the wound and, and you don't do this with everybody. Like there has to be, yeah. <laughs> just, just to be clear, it's not like you're going out and spreading it's like thing your you feelings do. and, you know, why you're offended and, and like how this person wronged you. That's not what we're talking about. But, you know, you should have one or two relationships that you can go to and just be raw and real and say, hey, like, this is what I feel like happened. This is how it made me feel. And, and you know, just kind of air it out, air it out and, and let you know, let invite the Holy Spirit to come and wash over the wound and, and, you know, and allow your friend to, to sit with you in that vulnerable place and, and them to do the same for you. And, you know, when, when they're offended, but I think the first step in healing from offense or for, or, or to really, you know, let the wound not become something that's festering, that's a root of bitterness or anger or, um, contention is, is really to air it out. And, and then, you know, you allow the love, the love of the Lord to wash it and you allow truth to come and, and to, to cover it. And, and then the healing process can start. But, you know, you think about like when you get a fresh wound and, 
and like the air touches it or anything touches it, it like it stings. Like you try to wash, you know, you ever try to wash a cut in the shower and you're like, ha ah, because it hurts mm-hmm. bad, you know, but, but the, it's necessary for it to, to be healed. There's a, when you talk about that concept of not just talking to anybody about the, uh, I have found that when you have somebody in your life who will actually show up for you, even when it doesn't benefit them, is rare. It's, those people are rare and they're precious. And scripture talks about um, casting your pearls before swine. And the verse basically goes on to say that if you do, they'll trample the pearls. And the way that I've come to apply this in my own life now is the concept that you want to be aware of the people who you share things with that are vulnerabilities for you. Mm-hmm. If you're in a position where someone trampling on your pearls is going to affect you. Um, now, for me, there's a number of areas where, you know, I can, I can talk about most of the things in my life and be fine. But there are a few topics still that I have not become fully, fully vulnerable in. And I'm sure I'll find more as I get older. But those, those particular pearls in my life are ones that if I just aired them out with anybody, most likely these people are going to be well-meaning, but they're going to give advice that's actually going to harm my process and make me less vulnerable. Or they're going to take my areas of insecurity and they're going to trample on them, maybe not maliciously, maybe just well-meaning, and they're going to actually take the thing that's most precious to me in that moment of my life and, uh, and, and harm it in some way. And so what I mean to say by that is we definitely want to continuously be people who are more vulnerable and more authentic. But as we're on this road to processing, there are specific things in your life that you have to really um, make sure that the people that you're sharing with are going to be open to actually helping you in the journey. And if they're not, you have to allow those pearls to not be buried in the mud and instead take them back and say, okay, Um, I still need to progress and grow in these things, but I need to find the group of people who are going to allow me to present these. And then they're going to show me how to, how to, um, I guess, grow in them as opposed to burying the thing that makes me me. And that's, I guess that's what you'd call your tribe. That's your tribe of people who really help with that. Yeah, for sure. I think that's super important. And, And also on that note of like, you know, not sharing with everybody, there's a part of that too, that in your process of wrestling, sometimes you don't have the full story and you don't have the full truth and you haven't submitted, you know, you haven't even, maybe you haven't even had time to ask, you know, just internally with your processing, ask the Holy spirit, like come and show me where I'm wrong because there, you know, that requires humility. It requires meekness to, to understand that we don't have the full, um, the full understanding of truth. And so if we're, we're, we're out loud processing with people that aren't safe places that don't know, you know, don't know us, don't know the kingdom, mm-hmm. don't know the scripture. Again. Yeah. They don't have relationship with us or with, with the Lord yeah. or with truth. Then, then we can actually be damaging somebody else. And we don't want to be the reason for somebody else's. We don't want to become a stumbling block to somebody else because we don't, we haven't dealt with our own stuff yet, or we don't have the full measure of truth. And so like, you know, there's people that we know we can process with, but there's some people that you, you shouldn't because you're actually going to wound them with yeah. your wounding and you don't want to turn your wound 
wound into a weapon. Yeah. Relationship is the key, right? Yeah. And it doesn't matter how smart another human being is or whatever. That You want to find a combination of someone who is willing to show up, is willing to listen, isn't tied to your story. So they're going to allow, they're going to show up for you as opposed to showing up for themselves by listening to you and giving you advice, right? Because right. that can happen. <clears throat> In the process of finding a relationship, the people that we most often look to in Christian culture would be different leaders and authorities, right? It is possible that some of the worst people that you could put blind trust in would be leadership and authority in small groups or Bible studies or whatever if you don't have relationship with them mm -hmm. and you haven't taken time to really understand who they are and if they're going to show up for you, right? And this is a broad, sweeping, generalized idea that you shouldn't just randomly go up to a stranger and blindly trust them because of an affiliation, <laughs> right? Right. You shouldn't like... We and and we have a tendency to do that in our culture that because somebody has a, a has a certain title, all of a sudden they have authority, and that's just not true. Like it's it's authority in your life, access to your pearls should be given and earned through a process of relationship over time. And we can use um, you know we can use the trust of a friend, right? A friend might know somebody who they're like, hey. This person is really trustworthy, and I know they're going to show up for you. And um, starting there, I think, can be an important part of the process. But it is, it is, I think it's very important that we pay attention to the relationships and pay attention to the people that are presenting pearls. Because who we, who we present our pearls to specifically is going to have long-reaching impact on our development and our processing. And, and not just ours, but the people that we're walking with. You know, if we're just word vomiting on everybody that we're connected to it's not it's not going to be a pretty scene we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna true. cause this you know we're gonna if we're you know because we're called as you christians, know who you are word vomiters <laughs> but we're called as christians <laughs> to be disciple makers and to be ones that can are able to say you know follow me as i follow christ we don't want to be making disciples after our our offenses we want to make disciples right. after the kingdom and and that does require vulnerability and i'm not saying like you know, go back to the hiding, but behind our, you know, the cross, but actually embracing the cross and embracing the process of, of having our heart open and exposed just like Jesus did. Like he had, he had the most reason to be offended of any human, right? Like he was misunderstood from day one all the way until he, you know, ascended to heaven and, and he, he lived with an open heart and he was, he was clear with his message. He was clear, um, with, with who he was. And I, and I think that's obviously that's important in this process of knowing who we are um, so that when offense comes, it doesn't change our mission. It doesn't change our vision, but it, 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 it allows us to bring other people into that. Mm. You know, there was, I was, I've actually been thinking about this phrase for the last couple of days and I think you finished the thought for me just mm -hmm. now. And, um, you know, cause I'm a father and you're a mother. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've got, it's got me thinking about, um, parenting and the way that I parent and by extension, the way that I plan on being a quote unquote spiritual father. If you're a father of children and you think that your children have to experience all the hardship that you experienced mm -hmm. because it's the way things should be, you're a father who's living in offense. 
And I think the part you just stuck together for me was it's the same thing with spiritual fathers. Mm -hmm. If you're a spiritual father or your spiritual mother, and you think that all of your spiritual children, so basically people who you're helping disciple, have to go through all the same stuff you did, you're a spiritual mother or spiritual father who's walking in a fence. That's you live in that place. Because it's saying, I went through this stuff that wounded me for a period of time, but the wounding was for my good, and now everybody needs to go through that. A spiritual father and a spiritual mother, their job is to live in relationship with an individual and to see their strengths and to help them pull their strengths out of them. Um, and same thing with Nat, with you know, being a parent in the natural. But um, we've been going for a while. Do you want to talk about dealing with the fence and where do you want to go? Yeah, I mean, we talked, we touched on it a little bit of you know, first allowing yourself to recognize that you have been offended. Um, that recognize, you know, recognize it. So yeah, recognize it, and you know, and when you look at the story of Jacob, um, you know, his life kind of was, was just riddled with offense. You know, he, he was the second born, um, he stole his brother's birthright and then he stole his blessing. So he was a very good offender. (laughs) And then he ran away to his, his uncle's house, Laban, and where he was then tricked by his uncle and marrying the sister he didn't want. He worked and was tricked over and over again. And, you know, Finally, was like, all right, it's time to go back. You know, the Lord tells him to go back to his his home country, and and in your when you're reading that story, you see that he has to cross over a, a brook to begin his journey, and he's got everything he owns with him, and he's got his family, his wives, his children, and his flocks, all his stuff, and he has to cross over the the river Jabbok, Jabbok, I think it's called, um, but it, the river actually means to empty yourself. And so he, when he crosses over that, he sends everybody ahead and he has to, he has to be there alone and he has to be in that place of crossing over, um, into the new thing, into the new place. And he has to be there alone. And that's actually where God comes and he wrestles with him. And that place of wrestling is super important. And it's something that, yes, we can invite people into the process like we were talking about, but it's also something you have to do alone and you have to do with God. Mm -hmm. You have to wrestle with you have to be willing to be honest with God. He already knows, but sometimes we think that we can hide stuff from him and be like, oh no, I don't really feel like that, but but we really do. And so we have to wrestle with God. We have to be will- willing to be like, hey, I really didn't like how this happened. I think you should have stopped that. Why didn't you? Mm-hmm. Like, why why did this happen? And and to be willing to, to challenge your idea of, of, of God and what, you know, what he's saying, because God is not, He's not offended <laughs> at our questions and he's, he's fully aware of himself and he's fully confident in who he is. And so we don't have to be scared that we're going to scare God away with our questions or with our wrestling. If anything, he's going to bring us more into his faithfulness, into his goodness. And so anyway, in the story of, of Jacob, you know, he wrestles with God and in that wrestling, it's actually the place where he receives his name change. Is actually the place where destiny is released to him, and and God says, "You're you're Israel. You're now you know the father of of a movement of you know of the kingdom coming, um, you know in in this way of God partnering with man, and you know you know you see later on in the story. But so he has to wrestle. He has to cross over the river and empty himself of what he thinks is right, and then he has to wrestle with God, and then he eventually has to go and face Esau. He has to go." And face the thing that he's pretty sure is going to kill him. Mm-hmm. 
and it was terrifying for him. And I was, when I was thinking about the story, really Esau had to do the same thing. You don't see this story from Esau's perspective, but you know he had to be wrestling with the same thing of like, man, I love my brother, but I also want to kill him mm-hmm. because he stole everything from me. But he had to go through that same process of, of emptying himself and wrestling and, and come into that place of restoration, which is you know, really the final step, I think, in, in this process is, is after you face it and you, you face your fear of, you know, of the offense of the thing that offended you or maybe the thing, the person that you offended is that you come into that place of, of restoration and reconciliation. And that has a lot of different, you know, expressions, a lot of different manifestations. It doesn't always look like returning to what was before. Because mm-hmm. um, even in the story of Jacob, they go their separate ways. They, they, you know, Esau says, come on back with me. And he's like, yeah, okay. And then he goes somewhere else. But there was that place of reconciliation and restoration, which is really, that's, like, you know, the Bible says that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And that's like our ultimate call on this earth is to reconcile orphans with their father. And, and offense cuts us off from the flow. Like we talked about with the body, it cuts us off from the source. And so our job is to reconcile as Christians, as people that proclaim the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is, is here. Our job is to reconcile sons and daughters with their father biblical sibling sibling rivalry is so much more intense than like i don't know because you were like esau wants to kill him like in the, but in the bible like siblings legitimately killed each other they still do just so you know yeah i guess that's true <laughs> <laughs> so if we were gonna so i just it, i wrote out five different things let me know what you think about this so in dealing with the fence first step would be recognize it mm-hmm. recognize it stop stuffing it under the rug right don't automatically equate being offended with being, um, with having a sinful, unrighteous heart, right? Just actually recognize it and acknowledge it. Second one, <clears throat> learn from it. Ask questions around it. Why do I experience it? Why do I have it? Third step, change misalignments in your life. This can be internal misalignments, which is where we tend to go first, mm-hmm. which is good, right? Internal misalignments with kingdom. And with the with you know the vision on your life and the heart posture that you want to have because the scriptures are guides, so we should look more like kingdom. And then the external ones of are there things in your life that you're participating in that don't actually align with your vision? Fourth one, allow yourself to heal from the disappointment. And then fifth one, grow and learn more about the vision on your life. Anything you want to add to it? Subtract from it? If you think. No, I think that's good. I think what's important also to recognize is that the pain that comes with offense um, doesn't have to be a bad thing. Like it can actually be an invitation to encounter God because if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you see that weakness, that pain, that um, wounding is the place that most often or more often than not that God meets us in in ways that mark us for what's next and and so you know if that's you if that's if you're walking through this process of being offended um, allow the pain to open a door to to deeper connection with the father and invite the Holy Spirit into that place of rawness um, because he can work with rawness and the things the things he does with a, a broken heart he doesn't leave him that way he, he restores everything and with his love with his kindness and and he makes us 
more like him. Um, because like I said before, like Jesus promises that offenses will come mm-hmm. and, and we can be sure that he's not going to leave us alone in the middle of offense, that he's there walking with us and, and that he will, he will use it to, to make us more like him, more like love. And if we let it, I was reading the story of the crucifixion not too long ago. And, you know, there's the place where, where Jesus is, you know, standing there with Barabbas and, and, the, and he's like, do you want Jesus or Barabbas? And in the crowd, you had, you know, you had Pharisees, you had disciples, you had people who had seen the miracles, you had all sorts of people standing there. And a lot of them had just welcomed Jesus in with open arms saying, like, here's the king, you know, at on a Palm Sunday, as we call it now, where they welcome him in as the king, but they didn't understand. They were offended that the kingdom he was bringing wasn't the one that they thought it would look like. And, and instead of embracing what was true and what, what Jesus was bringing, they, they shouted for, for Barabbas. And, and if you know anything about Barabbas, he was actually a revolutionary. He was one that, you know, he, he was going to come and bring the kingdom himself. And so they were, they thought it was going to look a certain way and they were offended that Jesus wasn't manifesting that thing. And so they, they called for the lesser thing. And, and it can be easy to do that when we're offended is to call for what we know, even if it's, even if it's not God. Mm-hmm. And so I guess like the <clears throat> final thing that I want to challenge myself with, with all of us with is, is to make sure that when offense comes, that we're when. not, yes, <laughs> that we're not crying out for Barabbas just because we don't understand the heart of Jesus yet. And that when offense comes, that we, again, we don't turn our wounds into weapons, but we let it become a place of, of humbling ourselves and asking the Holy Spirit to come and reveal truth to our hearts so that we can live kingdom and we can invite people into that help the way to healthfully process offense and to you know to grow past those areas of wounding mm, that's good so yeah i think that's it all right signing out